Support for this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Campus Radio. A student-operated, non-commercial radio station, KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in at any time to KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. Welcome to The Medium, a podcast presented by Tommy Media that's all about what's happening in the art and entertainment world. On today's show, we talk about misogyny in pop culture, go in depth with some examples, and catch up on the latest news and releases. All right. Finale time. It's the last episode. Welcome back to the medium. Welcome. As I said. welcome last episode welcome. of this season, of this semester. It's been a good time. It has been. We have talked about many things. Many of things. <laughs> We've ranted. We have ranted. We have discussed. Learned and a we lot. have concluded on many things. That is true. I do, before we get started, want to give a shout out to you, Song, for hopping on board this semester. It's been oh, a joy yeah. uh, chatting with you and getting to know you and just, yeah, talking about all that good stuff. Likewise, it was an honor to be taken, uh, taken on. So suddenly, <laughs> in the middle of the semester. Yeah, what the heck? It really just came out of nowhere. No, but it, it was, was fun. It's, yeah. it was been, it's been fun, and uh, we'll be back. That we will. And, uh, stay we'll tuned. Stay tuned for that. But, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be back. But in this uh, final episode of the semester, mm. this final recording of the quarter, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing today? We're going to take on a big topic. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about misogyny in pop culture Mm. kind of a few specific topics within that obviously that's very broad we know that but we can't sit here for four hours as much (laughs) as we would like to so we're going to kind of specify we're going to give some examples of it we're going to give a little historical background or at least some questioning and yeah just kind of see where everything is at um and why maybe not why it exists but i don't know we'll just talk about it yeah we'll just chat so like I just wanted to right off the bat, what is the first thing that pops into mind when you hear the the term misogyny in pop culture? Because to me, it's often uh, my professor, which I had last semester. I keep thinking about Doctor Doctor Nettleton, and if anyone has had Doctor Nettleton in her society, media, and culture class, this topic we're talking about today is basically the main topic of that class. We're talking mm. about how female representation is displayed and. All kinds of things from media to uh, advertising to just photography, you know, anything that we see and talk about in a day to day basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I equate it more to my personal experience with it mm-hmm. of not being able to have an interest in something or like mm-hmm. my interests not being worthwhile mm-hmm. because I'm interested in it. And I don't know if that's. That brings in the question of like, okay, well, what is the quality of the content mm-hmm. that you're taking in? Which I totally get. Like, there's definitely stuff that is better than other things. But when that justification for what's good and what's bad is coming from who is paying attention to it, who the audience is, mm-hmm. that's, I think, where the problem comes in. And that's what I've experienced mostly. Yeah. Um. So that kind of segues into just a historical context of like, who gets to determine what's good art, what's good media, who was allowed to mm-hmm. create and to critique, um, and like what are what do we hold as classics. I think all of that points to just 
it's always been a very male dominated mm -hmm. industry. All the male artists, filmmakers, actors, whatever, they were very promoted and they were the only ones that could like work within that context. If females were a part of it at all, a lot of times they were just the subject matter. Mm -hmm. So they had no sway over how they were um, being shown or produced in these uh, paintings, plays, mm -hmm. songs, you name it. Um, and so I think that that just relates to today. We don't have to dwell on it that much, but mm -hmm. that's obviously going to have an impact today. The, the reason that misogyny still exists is because it existed 400 years ago, probably in a more extreme manner. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just kind of what we're building off of to today, which is very like representation aimed, I think. Yeah. I also like to think that um, when we look at classics and old older pieces of work, we often... We see what was the sign of the times a lot of, yeah, a lot of the time, too. Definitely. And when we see, I think at least, when we see that in modern or contemporary pieces of work, be it TV or music or whatever, when we revisit these um, very old uh, tropes or um, uh, views, attentions, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Values. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. Attitudes. It's more on the basis, for me at least, on that fact that it's that's just plainly lazy, and I'd like to think that not people uh, are direct, directly being misogynistic, but the fact that they just they default to lazy mm -hmm. uh, solutions, mm -hmm. and that uh, you know, in some cases they might actually just be misogynistic, but I'd like True. to think that they aren't. True. You know, that's what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, a lot of it is just complicit in what's already established, yeah. and we can go into that with all types of representation issues mm -hmm. it's just in order to overcome it there has to be a more active participation in overcoming mm -hmm. it it's not going to happen on its own we yeah. have to be aware of it but then also take steps to fix that yeah um so one of the things that i had noticed a lot of times is it comes down to a misunderstanding of the audience who's watching mm -hmm. your show and so the thing I'm going to talk about is the BBC show Sherlock, mm -hmm. which was from 2010 to 2017. or still ongoing. I don't know. Um, I don't really care at this <laughs> point. Um, that show is a modern reinvention of the Sherlock Holmes characters with John Watson and Greg Lestrade and a bunch of other like new additions. Mm -hmm. Most of the new additions are the female characters. And... This core audience is mostly teenage girls and young adult women. I don't know why necessarily. I'm sure a lot of it is because people just like Benedict Cumberbatch, which is fine. I understand. <laughs> totally understand that. It kind of caught me off guard because I like to think that, you know, Sherlock Holmes appeals to a lot of young men too. You know, right, you know, right. Confidence and swagger. And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The fact that BBC would go this direction is kind of, I don't know, kind of a curveball, but I do, I do appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And... It's just, yeah, it's definitely interesting that that is the audience that mostly watches it. But with that in mind, not that you have to directly write for your audience or like write trying to appease your audience because you want to keep the integrity of the story. Sure. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> the attitude that the writers have toward female characters is very clear. And I don't know if that's meant to be kind of a slight toward their like they want a different type of audience but it plays off that way i think mm -hmm. um so for example like the main female characters they have one of them is irene adler she was in the original doyle stories 
even then she was like progressive and forward and they kind of do that with her now and she starts off is like smart and witty and like kind of a counterpart to Sherlock or at least like a challenge for him but then by the end of her episode it's just she just has a crush on him that's it yeah it's the whole reason <laughs> like she like loses all I don't know agency or like reasoning the for whole... wanting to like challenge him other than she's just like can I outsmart this dude that I like <laughs> yeah right it's like Irene Adler is the like the counterpart or counteracting mm-hmm. counteract to Sherlock Holmes and right. so you have this character who have so many layers. There's such a rich backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember which episode of this, but it's the one where Sherlock is trying to to figure out what uh, Irene is doing, and she has this whole like elaborate scheme played out with the safe, and like he has to mm-hmm. chase her down to yeah, the factory. Yeah, and it I goes. Think that's to the show, first one of season two. Yeah, and that goes to show like how many how complex the character of Irene Adler is, and like you're saying when they finish off the episode, being just like. She's just keen on Sherlock. Yeah. That rips all that away from her. Exactly. That, why would you create that much backstory to this character, which you're obviously just not mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. do anything more with? And, like, I couldn't relate to her in the slightest. Not at all. Like, she's in an entirely different path than I am, but that's not the point. Like, mm-hmm. I don't mind the female characters you have being something I still can't relate to other than the fact that we're both female, but when you just then reduce the character down... When you like you said, when you've already established all that, that mm-hmm. just doesn't sit right, even from a storytelling yeah, aspect. Yeah, it's just that's just leaving loose ends open. Yeah, because you're not like you're so unconnected with the character that you don't even bother ending their like story arc. Yeah, exactly. That's basically what the BBC are doing. Here. Exactly. Um, another reoccurring character is Molly Hooper. She's like a coroner basically at the hospital, and she's an interesting one because. She starts off the show like definitely kind of in love with Sherlock and kind of still is the whole time, but he's very discrediting to her and to her work. He does give her some um, acknowledgement later on, but and part of that is definitely just the issue with Sherlock's character development and like who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. He kind of discredits everybody, but with her specifically, like she's clearly important to some of his schemes. Um, and she just kind of gets pushed under the radar with that. Mm-hmm. And then um, in season three, they bring in Mary, who ends up getting married to John Watson. So mm-hmm. Mary Watson. In the Doyle stories, she's kind of, she's not that present. She's present enough. Like they mention her from here, there and there. She's sometimes in the thing. And then she just kind of dies of old age at some random point. Like she's not mm-hmm. that important to the Doyle stories. But when they brought her in on the BBC, very quickly, they established this, like, ex-assassin, ex-spy background. Oh, yeah, like, it was this really right. dramatic thing. And it that didn't it hap- was weird and, like, yeah. obviously didn't happen in the Doyle stories. But if they're moving this to a modern audience, let's make the characters more dynamic, mm-hmm. more modern. And there's so few episodes, so few characters, it's okay to do that. And, again, not that I, like, could particularly relate to Mary or, like, was interested in her story. Maybe not. But at least that gave her some depth as a character. Mm-hmm. And she played really well into this trio between John, Sherlock, and herself. It mm-hmm. was just, it was a good dynamic. It was a good addition. Obviously, John has always made it clear that he, like, wanted a wife or at least, like, a love interest other than Sherlock. That's a whole <laughs> other thing. Right. Not the point. Um, but then she's around for one season, and then they're in this random case, and this 
criminal tries to shoot at Sherlock and she like jumps in front of him and mm-hmm. takes the bullet for him. Yeah, it's and <sighs> like I do not understand it. The only thing I can think is that she was like trying to spare John's dealing with Sherlock's death, but also now you're making him deal with your own death and there's also no reason yeah. and didn't they to have substitute a, your life for his. I don't They like, had a kid at the time too. They, they have a daughter. Ha- yeah, they just yeah. got the kid. Exactly. And I don't know. Like you the whole point of adapting the Sherlock Holmes stories into a modern context was to make them better, to make them richer, to mm-hmm. make them modern, but then to just take the most powerful female character you have and reduce her to a plot device to get it out of the <laughs> hole a, a you dug. Shield? <laughs> yeah, it just and it doesn't even make sense with the baby because there was a quote from one of the writers. He said it was fun making it a trio, referring to John Sherlock and then Mary, but it doesn't work long term. Mary was always going to go, and we are always going to get back to the two men. That's the format. It doesn't have to be the format, though. Like, yeah. if you what? came into Mary's character with the expectation that you were just going to kill her off to get back to what you were already doing, mm-hmm. what was the point of putting her in in the first place? You could have easily just had a Sherlock and John show and it would have been fine. Yeah. You didn't have to bring her in to kill her off. And then you bring the baby in. So now the baby, like, John's not going to just get rid of his baby. She's in the show now. That's Mm -hmm. definitely, at least, like, yeah, this is still not great representation, but if Mary was around, John wouldn't have to worry about his kid as much. But now, like, you want to show a positive father figure for this child. So it's still going to affect the relationship he has with Sherlock. Yeah, so they're just... Basic like production here is just basically messing up big time. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff to unfold here. One being the fact that they, int- like you're saying, they introduced Mary and she's this very uh, complex character mm-hmm. that nothing happens with, and they like reduce her almost just basically by objectifying the fact that she's a riot shield now for yeah. Sherlock, and yeah. it makes no sense for her to jump. Well, and all of her like current problems are just her and john's marriage like it's very domestic issues Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with her being an assassin or a spy like that all gets resolved super quickly yeah again like saying in the beginning this is all just i feel like it's just tying back to such lacy lacy writing and they're contradicting themselves when their core audience is teenage girls and young adult women like definitely i watched the show for the dynamic between sherlock and john Mm -hmm. but i'm also smart enough to know that they're going to develop. They're going to grow. Their relationship mm-hmm. is going to change. It's not just the two of them against everything else. Yeah. It's normal for other people to come in and then you bring other people in and then just discard them like <laughs> they didn't even matter. Why did you bother? Yeah, it's uh, very much just, I don't know how how uh, religious they were to mm. the source content which they drew from, but... Not very. Exactly, like... <laughs> It gets worse as you go on. Why would basically. they do all this for basically nothing? I, yeah, I and don't know. It's kind of, it feels like they're just trying to stall the relationship between Sherlock and John. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that it seems like they're trying to stall the ending of the series. And if you read the books, you know how this plays out. Yeah. Um, so. Well, that's okay. That's good. <laughs> I like that you bring up stall Sherlock and John's relationship. Because like, Mary being there was definitely a sticking point between mm-hmm. the two men. And they showed a lot of how that affected Sherlock emotionally. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they did all of this to then serve some plot of like getting them together 
maybe romantically or even just as friends. Like they're already friends. Mm -hmm. They're going to be fine despite (laughs) John's marriage. But if your plan was to then like bring some romantic thing into it, which I don't think that is the plan at Mm -hmm. all, then even so, what what is the point? (laughs) Right. Did we talk about uh, Mrs. Hudson too? She, well, so like in the Doyle stories, she's just kind of like the housekeeper basically. Mm -hmm. And she kind of maintains that same role here. And she is a bit more elderly, so, like, there's a mm-hmm. whole damsel in distress moment with her. But yeah. she has, like, a weird backstory. Um, if anything, she's probably the one that sticks up to the boys the most. Probably. That's what calls I was them out. thinking about her. But, again, if you're target, or if not their target audience, but the audience, if that's young women, mm-hmm. they also probably can't relate that much to Mrs. Hudson. That's They'd true. They'd probably want to see more of an Irene Adler, a Molly Hooper, mm-hmm. a Mary Watson doing something. But That's then those true. characters <laughs> apparently have too much agency, so we got to take it away. Yeah. This is interesting that B- that you pulled out this from uh, Sherlock, the mm-hmm. BBC version, because I think about, you know, Peaky Blinders is BBC too, and they did a fantastic job of... I think Peaky Blinders is definitely... Working in more... Better? Yeah. It's still... That show's interesting because it's made now, but it's portraying 1920s. Mm-hmm. And so they have to balance how women were perceived and treated in the 1920s versus how they want to represent women now. That's true. But there definitely is enough, at least for me, like in the context of this family that is run by men mm-hmm. historically, um, they give us Aunt Polly, Ada, Gina even in yeah. the most recent season. Like those were still characters that had a mind of their own. Mm-hmm. Um even Lizzie, Lizzie is great. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least, you know, at least once per season, the women get one episode where, you know, all their stories kind of develop a little bit more. And mm-hmm. At mm-hmm. least they give them that. And BBC's Sherlock, you right. don't even get that. You barely get, you know, and anything that like puts, time. Right. And anything that puts those women down, I think, is very clearly written as like, this is the historical expectation. Like, mm-hmm. even their husband, like Tommy, sometimes will be really rude to mm-hmm. Lizzie. But, He's also the head of his family in 1930, like whenever yeah. <laughs> it takes place. Like that is still in line historically, but they never fail to show when he does appreciate her and they show her fighting back against mm-hmm. that. Like she still has some agency over her role as his wife. It's true. It's true. So going from uh, from British t- television to good old-fashioned Hollywood I chose um, just to really quickly talk about the Big Bang Theory because I watched it so much uh, Mm. years prior and I never caught on to this at all. But uh, the Big Bang Theory presents us with a different type of misogyny in the sense that it's played off every single time. Yep. By the fact that you're following these four dorky, nerdy dudes Mm -hmm. and they're, um, well, (laughs) could you say that they're, their nerdy attitudes kind of place off their whole um, misogynistic attitude. They're the stereotypical, like, oh, they're nerdy, and to the point where, like, they can't get a girl. They don't have much, like, mm-hmm. experience with girls. So, like you were saying, everything that does happen is played off with, like, they're inexperienced or, yeah. like, they're awkward. It's also just the, no. the uh, cultural expectation that men that are portrayed as um, what they are in Big Bang Theory aren't supposed to be acting in that, you know, jock fashion, which mm-hmm. is, you know, very direct misogynistic uh, derogatory towards women. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I've taken the, the opportunity to just list off really quickly what I've uh, seen mm -hmm. and also what I've heard and read online when researching the topic. So with Sheldon, um, he likes to tie all problems in the show back to the fact that the character he's interacting with is either female or not a non-male mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, gender. Leonard is the enabler of the group, and this is probably where I reacted the strongest because mm -hmm. it's the hardest one to catch, and it's the fact that he does never, he never challenges mm -hmm. what the other guys are doing or saying. Uh, never, not even once does he contest, you know, Sheldon, Howard, or Raj. Mm -hmm. uh, Raj being uh, the more sensitive of the group, mm -hmm. uh, he's also what I would call the diversity hire. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't believe that the actor even has a Indian accent. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, but that's a topic for another day. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> but, uh, another four hour episode <laughs> right there. Yeah. But he also becomes the, uh, overly sexual predator as soon as he gets drunk. Uh, and that just, you know, plays up as a mirror towards society for all, all men who. Cause he has the thing know. where he like can't talk to girls yeah, the first two when seasons, he's sober. He doesn't just talk like, to women at all. Mm. The first two seasons. And then finally, that brings us to Howard, who's just the outward creepy pervert. Mm -hmm. And this is the oh, shocker to me. There's this one episode where Penny calls out Howard for being creepy, for being a creepy pervert. Yeah. And then the producers have Penny apologize to Howard at the end of like the episode. Like for calling him out? For calling him out because then he got sad. I'm like, wait, what? Uh, Recheck your behavior, Yeah, what's sir? going on here? But <clears throat> here's the kicker, right? Here's what I'm thinking. What can you expect from the same guy who produced Two and a Half Men? Mm, Chuck interesting. Laura. Chuck Laura. What are we doing here, man? Big Bang Theory has not been on for that many years. It's fairly recent. Yeah. And you're out here playing off misogynistic behavior just because it doesn't fit the stereotypes of nerds. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Oh, you're better than this. Like, I don't know. Maybe I, mean, I two just and have. Two and a Half Men has. Its own slew of problems. Well, it's just one big misogynistic fest. Like, yeah, it's, it's just terrible. And so, yeah, what what are we doing here? Is what I'm questioning. I don't know. Like, obviously, like going back to Sherlock, the two main writers are both men. Um, and and that like I hate saying that that's the reason because I definitely think you can. Like male writers could write positive mm -hmm. female representation. Females could write positive male representation. Mm -hmm. But it's like there's no check on any of it. Yeah. It feels like um, the days of Hollywood and the Hays Code and mm -hmm. anything that would benefit the cisgendered white man in Hollywood still remains to some degree. Definitely in in uh, daytime TV or, mm -hmm. or uh, sitcom TV, at least with Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men. Mm -hmm. And it's so I'm just so dumbfounded that we're still finding these little things. In shows that are like five years old, like I thought we g came further than that. Maybe right, right. But maybe that's just us being in the vacuum that we're in. You know, mm -hmm. we hang around each other and um, this sort of I don't know, almost like this echo chamber thing. And then we don't really check the stuff that we see until it's too late. Right. right. And then we're like, wait, what? Why didn't no one call this out before? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, The Big Bang Theory. I remember seeing a lot of it probably when I was in high school and it was definitely I think it was as I got older I got more annoyed with it mm -hmm. because like also later in the show they start getting married and like yep. having steady girlfriends and like 
you'd think that that would help, but it still doesn't yeah. really. Like, there are still issues. It makes me think about the one line that Howard has, and I think it's Howard and Penny. They're at this gym. And then Penny calls Howard out again. And then he goes, I don't, uh, Bernadette doesn't ma- mind where I get the engine going, just that I park in the same garage. And I'm like, oh, that's such an obscene line to write. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's kind of a yikes. Yeah, it's, what? Gross. No. Chuck Lorre, you need to check yourself, man. Get, yeah. You gotta stop doing whatever let's, you're doing. Man. <laughs> let's not do that. Yeah. Um, I threw on, as a topic too, also the young adult book scene. This is more getting into... Um, not specific stories necessarily, but kind of, again, audience. Mm-hmm. Um, young adult books have been around 20 years, at least like with that title. Um, the genre is fairly new. And it came out just for this need that children's books, like obviously a book that a 17-year-old can read is not fit for a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. So, But then 17-year-olds also maybe aren't ready for adult fiction, that sort of thing. So there needed to be a gap genre so that's where ya came in but now it's very often seen as an inferior genre it's not taken seriously Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that's because it's new but a lot of it is because of who's reading it and what it's about it's a lot of like high school contemporary Mm -hmm. stories for about various things there's a big fantasy subgenre within it but a lot of its readership is teenage girls and young women and a lot of the authorship is female Mm -hmm. and I think that plays into this idea of what's real literature and what's not and why it gets a bad rep it's because historically females have been said to write fluffy books like Mm -hmm. Jane Austen had all that because her stories were romantic they were domestic they were not you know not these huge adventures off Mm -hmm. into wherever Um, and that has kind of played out into today And the one thing I think of specifically is with the Hunger Games Mm -hmm. when it was in his heyday and now all the time it's with Katniss's story. It still reverts back to like Peta or Gale, Peta or Gale. Mm -hmm. One that shouldn't even be a question. Obviously she belongs with Peta. Duh. Not the point. (laughs) Um, The thing is the love component of that story is the least important thing. There are so many themes, not only for her personally of like mental health, PTSD, Mm -hmm family love but then like the government stuff and the whole rebellion like there's so much to it and there's so much we could see about our own society other than the romantic aspect but Mm -hmm. that is what everyone goes to they immediately take her character and they say which one would she suit yeah it's never like who would suit her what does she need it's like who do we want to see her with Mm -hmm. never the fact that she just started a revolution and (laughs) took down this entire problematic government Mm -hmm. and i think you you just see that a lot um female characters either being reduced to just romance or just not being taken seriously Mm -hmm. because they're female yeah i'm trying to think about if i ever read a book or saw a a show or movie where that wasn't the case where the it's kind of tough yeah Mm -hmm. when the female lead was uh strong and independent and like i definitely like that dynamic in the hunger games like Mm -hmm. it's interesting it's done well or mildly well but that's also not the point yeah and like you're saying the whole reverting back to the default of romance 
in the books and in the movies mm -hmm. is the fact that like you're saying you're missing out on this whole universe around it like mm -hmm. you're saying cat and star revolution that means that could be just like a springboard going into what's the socioeconomic situation of this world right what else what other storylines can we explore here instead of going to that right romance part what if we just saw katniss in fight situations where it's you know the hunger games mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we didn't have to you know cut to the next shot of her being with pete or gail mm -hmm. but instead we could cut to a protest in one of the in one of the what's it called uh panem the capital yeah the districts. Oh, districts, yeah, districts in the districts yeah yeah something like that you know it's mm -hmm. there's a lot it could have been done differently yeah so when you see that with like the superhero genre a lot finally have started getting some female leads mm -hmm. um but for so long and even now it's still just like oh they're just damsel in distress they're good for nothing except being yeah. the love interest I, I never thought i would uh say this but uh prime videos the boys actually have some good female lead characters where they just absolutely mm. steamroll the dudes and i'd it's like to very fun make a note for those who still aren't over supernatural that jensen ackles is going to be in season three of the boys oh anyway moving on <laughs> right ignore me <laughs> don't even bother listening so i wrote a little uh ops piece if you could call it that uh i'm always here for the yeah so i'm gonna read a little bit and feel free to jump in whenever you hear something cool um and i called it i am my brother's keeper but i will not gatekeep my brother <laughs> clever yeah so I've always, uh, I've said this before and I'll mention it again, I'm a gamer. I love video games and I'll probably keep playing video games until the day I physically can't. And ever since I was a kid, you know, when times were tough and the real world seemed a little too real, I'd jump into my video game, I'll hop on, log on, uh, talk to my friends and, you know, play games, had a good time. It was great. I formed a community with real friends and we had friends online and we became this whole network and... You know, times have changed and video games are no longer just a pastime for children. It's big commercial business, which means that it has gone mainstream. Which means that, you know, there's more people finding networks and they find these little sanctuaries online which they can go to. But that's not the case for a lot of women online. And I think that's a shame because video games should be for everyone. It's mm -hmm. a great medium. It's a great way to escape a little bit. Everyone should be able to play video games. <clears throat> But if you log on to any AAA game and you hop on an online lobby, and if you were to be, you could call it lucky, unlucky, however you want to take it, if you stumble upon a girl gamer, female gamer, women, mm -hmm. woman gamer, you can put money down that within the next 10 seconds of that announcement, there will be some brutish, vile, and derogatory mm. locker room toxic uh, banter beginning. Yikes. <clears throat> Here are some things that I've heard and that other people have heard, both uh, friends of mine, uh, friends of mine who are girl gamers, and uh, uh, just fair warning, there will be some, some potty mouth words, Yikes. but uh, that's the part of the reality that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Some things are like, are you a real girl? Can I have your Snapchat? Are you hot? Uh, is this your boyfriend's account? Girls can't play video games. We're going to lose now. Useless gamer girls. And this right here, these are two of the ones that I found just the most insane. And I've heard these. And it's just stuff like, I'm going to rape you. Yes. And like, shut up, you dumb slut. Like, come on. It's a video game. Yeah. 
what are you what are you trying to not pro- like that's allowed or appropriate in any context yeah, like, but definitely not a video game like there's no. guaranteed kids in that lobby yeah and you're trying to and that's also a human being yeah. who is interested in the same as you and you literally just heard her voice 20 seconds ago right and now you're calling her out like like who are you right you know and so, you know, I heard these things and I'm dumbfounded of the fact that someone can act this way to a complete stranger. I'm dumbfounded, but I'm not surprised, you know. No. The veil of anonymity grants people a great deal of courage when the opportunity arises. Yeah, that definitely gets into a whole, like, cyber issue in general and, oh, like, yeah. a human decency issue. But obviously in this context, it's sad that that's not surprising. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know. Um. Uh, like I said, the veil of anonymity grants people a great deal of courage. And I'm no stranger to being flamed or chirped at, but he has never, ever once been because of my gender or my race. Mm. It's always been on the basis of my poor performance. For women, it's like stats don't even matter. Mm-hmm. They could be top dog on a team, and some misogynistic troglodyte with a superiority <laughs> complex will chirp about how terrible gay girls are at gaming. Not realizing that if he had spent half as much time studying the game as he's spending on spreading hate speech in some crusty basement, <laughs> he could be top dog at his game too. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> so why is that men can't seem to not comment when there are women playing the game? Mm-hmm. Is it insecurity? Is it challenging your perceived notion of, stand- of cultural norms and context? Or gender roles? Or are these tendencies just direct spawns out of the spice for women gamers? And why would it be like that at all? Are video games the last frontier for insecure men to play their emotional charade? <laughs> I and like, I, okay, yeah. sorry. Um, obviously, video games as becoming like a business and almost like a sport and like a career, mm-hmm. that it, in itself is still trying to gain credibility. Yeah. So why are you tearing down the other members of your community when yeah. all of you should be focused on showing how legitimate this interest, this practice yeah. is? We're all trying to build this industry up. Exactly. And when you're setting a foot forward that presents these terrible, terrible values and this terrible, terrible attitude, you're breaking it all down. You're exactly. making all the work that the rest of us are doing for granted. Mm-hmm. And that's going to come back to hurt you in the end. Yeah. Because believe it or not, Buster, we're in the same gaming boat here. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, you don't want, if the video game community and, like, as a sport continues to grow, Mm -hmm. you don't want it to become just another, like, uninclusive, toxic, uh, closed-off environment. Yeah, you want more, you want to keep growing the business, you got to get more people to partake. And yeah. the only way you do that is create a, a community and atmosphere that allows itself, it lends itself to these kinds of things, to a more progressive uh, outlook on gaming. Right. Uh, so, I like to think that uh, uh, people that say and do these things are the minority of gamers. Mm-hmm. Yet there are many gamers like, out, like, out there, so likelihood that you'll encounter one is very, very high. And, you know, that's a problem um, that could have its own four-hour episode. How do we, how do we change these tendencies? Next season. <laughs> Next season, yeah. And <clears throat> I think that there's no way that these attitudes and tendencies are limited to game lobbies with women in them. No. These attitudes and tendencies stem from a long history of toxic masculinity. All the way back to, you know, how men police men on how to be more masculine. 
projecting these grand ideas of what a man is supposed to be like, yet forgetting that common decency and respectable manners matter. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that gamers who have found comfort and cons uh, consolation from playing video games have done so because they have in some shape or form been excluded from other aspects of life. And why would I make that statement? Because I did it myself. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Maybe you aren't as athletic as the other boys, but you're killing it on FIFA. Maybe you aren't as smart as the other boys, but you stand unrivaled in Call of Duty. And maybe you have a hard time talking to the other gender, but you talk to everyone, and I mean everyone, during raid night in World of Warcraft. The point is that all pe kinds of people, regardless of their backstory, gender, race, religion, or sexual orientation, they will all play video games. And as gamers, we are in no position to turn people away, but instead we should welcome them where they seek sanctuary and relief just as we once did. Mm -hmm. And in the gaming community, we have for too long done a terrible job of speaking up about the continuing misogyny that we see. We remain silent, we turn our mics off, we become passive observers, allowing these trolls to hack down and tear on someone to shreds on the basis of their gender. And gatekeeping video games over such a thing as gender must be the dumbest thing <laughs> I can think of. Come on. Historically speaking, as gamers, we have no business of othering other people, pushing them towards the margins. Because thinking about it, you know, growing up, if you were a gamer, you were already on the margins, buddy. <laughs> so, when I say that I'm my brother's keeper, I'm saying that I will hold my friends and the people I play with accountable for the things that they say and for the things that I say. And when I say that I won't gatekeep my brother, that means I will never discredit someone's ability to play video games over anything. And to be honest, the last thing I want to hear in my headset when I'm in full flow state guns blazing <laughs> gamer mode is some outdated, sexist, recycled comment about how terrible girl gamers are when she's the one doing all the work you should have done <laughs> while you were trying to hold on to the last inch of manhood you had left as you watched it slip away in the chat box on screen. So I think that's it. We're going to just be done. <laughs> no, that, that was good. That was fantastic. Yeah. That's just how I've been feeling about it, so take that as you want. But it's a huge problem in the gaming industry, and like you mentioned earlier, if we want this business to grow, we want to see esports, for example, become more prevalent, we need to shut down on these outdated values and mm -hmm. start looking towards a more progressive future for video games and the video game community. Well said. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I have no comment. <laughs> um. I I was talking with our producer, Kayla, mm -hmm. in the car the other day after or about Taylor Swift. We'll get to <laughs> what happens uh, later. Right. And about her as an artist and, like, the fan base again. And that's almost the flip side of sometimes it seems like only girls can like her music. Mm -hmm. And also I was having a conversation with a friend from – like kindergarten, we've known each other a long time. He's a huge Beatles fan. Mm -hmm. And he was, I had mentioned something about listening to Taylor Swift. And he immediately was like, oh, that's trash. What? I'm like, what are you talking about? You yeah. haven't listened, like you've never listened to her. You've only heard the singles. And I think a lot of Taylor Swift fans can admit her singles aren't the greatest of the songs on the album. But either way, how do you just automatically say that's trash when you mm. don't listen to it. And I think that kind of relates to your video game example of how are you going to discredit this player before you've even seen them play? Yeah. Or maybe you have seen them play and you still discredit that? Like, Yeah, it's like, what? Come on. The, 
Taylor's like awards and clear fame and success is because there's something valuable to that. Mm-hmm. Any like The Hunger Games is also valuable because it was written by a female. It has a female character. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, the Sherlock stories starred men characters in Doyle's time and now, but that doesn't mean that there isn't room to grow. And I think yeah. that in like Big Bang Theory, obviously, it was a pretty popular show. Yeah, that doesn't mean it was perfect. Like there was probably some good aspects to it, but there mm-hmm. definitely wasn't. And I just think we have to like reevaluate how we judge content, and mainly in the sense that we have to judge it for the content and not. Who is watching yeah. it? Yeah, not who it's designed for, who is watching it, who's writing it, who's pre- what we're seeing on screen, right then and there is what we need to talk about. Right, right. Because um, if we're gonna start, that brings to the whole discussion of you know death of the author and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's just like definitely, I think we can. If there's continuous problems, like every no writer's perfect, mm-hmm. there are going to be mistakes, there are going to be ways to improve. Mm-hmm. But if something is continuing, then you can go to the writer room and be like, who's sitting at that table? Yeah. Who are who's producing? Who's checking them? Yeah. That's or the thing. allowing things to pass. Who is checking these people? Is what we need to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on that note, I wanted to uh, flip the script a little bit uh, to someone who I recently discovered who is challenging this whole idea of misogyny in pop culture through photography. Um, and so there is a 23-year-old photographer from Morocco called uh, Fatima Sora Seri. Um, and she uses photography to, in her own words, um, she uses it as the creative process uh, of the series that allowed her to release a lot of rage in the sense that she explores the topic of womanhood in a conservative society through photography. Uh, and her most popular image is that one that shines a light on violence against women, where she is wearing a, um, a hijab with a uh, kind of silenced mouth, so it's like a silenced woman. And she has a bloody sanitary pad over her eyes to visualize the violence. Uh, and so she started this whole movement of using photography as a conversation started about inequality and suppression. I thought was very cool. I linked yeah. her Instagram there if you wanted to take a look. Uh, yeah, that's at some sweet. point. So it's cool to see that people are are trying to do something about it. And mm-hmm. definitely for me, who was a photographer, and I'm in the photography scene, I think it's cool to see stuff like this, and also stuff locally where you know people are doing little things all the time. Definitely to promote activism and work against misogyny. Yeah, I think it's every little bit helps. Yeah. Every absolutely. little positive representation, every photo, every song, mm-hmm. literally anything. Just, I don't know, work against what's considered normal or what's considered okay. Mm-hmm. We have to redefine what is okay. Yeah. We have to support women in the industry along mm-hmm. with like any type of representation, any yeah. kind of diversity. We need to support those stories, support those creators. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to take away from like the cisgender male opportunity. <laughs> no. No. That they don't need to go away. We just need to create space for others yeah. too. And there needs to be a check. And like again, nothing is going to be perfect. There's always going to be ways to improve that, but this comes down to more of a societal mm-hmm. <laughs> improvement that needs to happen. Yeah, it just doesn't have to exist, basically. Definitely, yeah. At least not to this extent. And also to 
to any male listeners out there, you know, don't be afraid to, to uh, pick up the reins, you know, join join the movement. Mm-hmm. It, this is not a thing about, you know, male or female or any gender. It's no. about common decency and equality for all in the sense that everyone should have a chance to shine and that they should be allowed to do so without the fear of any sort of prosecution or mm-hmm. demeaning tones or demeaning feedbacks. Just let people create, man. Let people yeah. do their thing. And also let people enjoy things. Yeah, if exactly. someone is, loves a band or an, a writer or an artist, let them like that. Yeah. Why? Who are you to say what's better or worse or not worthy or whatever? Yeah. If it speaks to them in some manner, that should be enough. Yeah. And also, just to finish off my, my note to the dudes, remember that uh, Tupac has a whole song dedicated uh, to women. So if you think that you're... Uh, anything but uh in the position to help out go listen to keep your head up i think it's uh, called and it's just a great song so should we hop on to yeah, the uh, latest we, news and releases yeah we could go on and on but yeah i think i think that's good um so this was a couple weeks ago i think but the big five publishing houses uh-huh. um i believe these are just the either just the american well i actually have no idea I won't. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Ignore that. Um, but the big five publishers in the literary world are Penguin Random House, Hatchet Book Group, HarperCollins, Simon and Schuster, and Macmillan. Hmm. But in 2021, Simon and Schuster will be bought out by Penguin Random House, which is huge. That is a drastic shift in the literary world. That's not. A good thing like that's not a positive <laughs> thing that's happening but they had to do it because amazon is skyrocketing with book sales because mm-hmm. it's cheaper and i don't know if amazon has plans to become like their own publisher i wouldn't be surprised but uh, surprised these, they haven't done it a long time ago yeah but these publishing houses like they already own all a bunch of small ones and it's just it's very concerning to mm-hmm. see five go down to four and of one of the biggest houses, like Simon Schuster was either third or fourth on that list and they got bought by the first one. Cause that's only going to make penguin random house bigger, but that's what they have to do to be able to compete. So mm-hmm. that's an interesting development. One that I'm not happy about. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ratatouille, the TikTok musical is getting a virtual wait, wait, concert. Wait, 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 wait. You missed one. <laughs> no, we're going to go back to that one. Okay. <laughs> I just want to say this one first. <laughs> please, this? song, please. Um, <laughs> Ratatouille, the TikTok musical, is getting a virtual concert. Hold up. What is this? So, do you know about <laughs> No. <laughs> okay, shoot. What is this? Te- okay. Ratatouille, TikTok. So, on TikTok, there was this weird thing, and it's still going on, where, like, users have been making a Ratatouille musical. People are making songs. They're doing costume design. They're... They made a playbill. They're making no, dance, like on. choreography. Like there's this whole thing. I don't believe you don't know about it. But they're honoring the TikTok musical official Broadway is working with the <laughs> Actors Fund. And they're doing like a virtual concert of like playing all of the content that people have made, like in order of the show. Oh no. And there's like tickets and you can watch it. It's just super fun. This I can't believe you didn't great. know about it. This Kayla, is Kayla and I will just like scream the lyrics to each other. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. and there's like at least nine or ten songs at this point. So this it is a full blown thing. 
this person is asking the right tickets. Where can I buy tickets to Ratatouille, the TikTok <laughs> musical? Go what? on, go on the uh, official Broadway World Instagram account. They have, and scroll down a little bit. Um, I don't know if tickets are still available. They might have been sold out. But Remy, <laughs> <laughs> official Broadway World. Yeah. Okay. And well, Bob. <laughs> you'll see the playbill. It's like a little rat made of ratatouille with no. a little ship hat. <laughs> Someone on TikTok made that. A TikToker made that. Isn't it beautiful? Wow. What good work. That's so fun. That is just, this is just great. It's so fun. And people have started doing like rankings of their favorite songs and like, oh Lord. I'm telling you, the internet just amazes me Apparent- every day. I will, I did hear that there is a side of TikTok writing a my immortal musical based on like this infamous harry potter fan fiction called my immortal no and it's creepy and weird and i can't believe that that exists i have not seen any of that i am fully on ratatouille tiktok but yeah Yeah. so check it out (laughs) (laughs) um the bit of news that i skipped that i'm now coming back to yes is that taylor swift a queen released (laughs) evermore out of nowhere second album this year five months after folklore their sister albums they have the same vibes um some similar musical elements crossed over some lyrical elements crossed over um i'm still i okay i was equally obviously excited but then also a little like Oh, not yet. No, because I am still trying to comprehend folklore in its entirety. Like, I don't think that has fully Mm -hmm. even sank in in my mind. It's still a new album. I mean, to be fair, I'm still getting over Lover. That was only (laughs) just over a year ago, too, whatever. There's a lot of things Um, happening for uh, Taylor Swift. She has a lot going on. Yeah. But so Evermore came out. I think it's pretty good. I've only listened to it for, I think it's been out for like a week or so. Maybe less than that. I don't (laughs) even know. Um, but yeah, it's good. Have you listened to it? Enough? I heard a uh, couple songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Willow, I think, is one yep, of them. Yeah, that's the lead single for yeah. this one. So I heard that one because it was on a uh, playlist. And th- I heard another one, too. It was a longer name, but I can't remember. But the two songs were great. I uh, listened to them twice. Uh, and yeah. Wow, a double play. Yeah, <laughs> double play. Four, four plays of uh, Taylor Swift in one evening. But um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely... It's from, not enough. From what I heard, I definitely listened to the rest of the album, too. Yeah. Um, there are two like singles on the deluxe version that I have not heard yet, but I'm sure they're going to be fine. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's also a lot of on Taylor Swift TikTok. There's a lot of theories that she's either like done after this album and there's going to be another one or there. Yeah. TikTok is a wild place. Yeah. I wouldn't project or uh, predict too much. She can do whatever she yeah. wants to be honest. Yeah. Clearly she surprised us with two yeah. albums in one year. I don't think she's going like, to have not... the capability to know what's happening. She's just not going to release an album for another 10 years now. <laughs> she dropped two in a row. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, and then this was from a few days ago. Disney announced a ton of stuff mm. for Disney plus. Yes. Um, I don't know if that's because they're still banking on like COVID being a problem or if they're literally just trying to keep people on Disney plus um it's been about a year i think since it came out mm-hmm. so they want to make sure they don't have that like one year drop off yeah um so they raya should, uh, and the last dragon i think is like a new animated movie mm-hmm. uh in kanto with music by lin-manuel miranda is it going to be a new animated movie mm-hmm. you might like this a mandalorian spin-off yes show. talking about uh female representation in uh shows ashoka tano she is a uh, 
to me one of those uh, characters in the Star Wars universe that kind of went under my radar. Mm -hmm. But as you know, Mandalorian started ramping up and <clears throat> uh, Clone Wars is ramping up. Uh, Ashoka has become more of a uh, uh, character that I've you know gained an interest for. So the fact that her story is being put in the Mandalorian universe means that it will most likely be done justice, and I will be watching it. Very cool. Yeah. Um, there was some other Star Wars content. Like I think there's going to be an Obi Wan Kenobi show. Yeah, perhaps. we've heard a lot about that in the last year, two years. Mm. Um, I'm not sure where they're standing on that, but. Well, I heard who's who plays um, Anakin in the original. Uh, in the. Because he's prequels? coming back. Yeah. Yeah. He's gonna. I think he just got casted to oh, okay. come back. Interesting. Um, but then on top of that, also a bunch of like Marvel movies and shows. Mm -hmm got announced or updates like falcon winter soldier uh black widow mm -hmm. movie i believe yeah and then something about aren't they entering like phase four now some yeah i think so something like that when there was some new spider-man thing yep with they're making like a live spider-verse with tom holland and then like toby mcguire that's <laughs> right we were talking about what, that not too long ago weren't we what yeah 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 and then andrew something toby, or the other toby mcguire that guy <laughs> When he's uh when he's Venom and he does the double finger pistol. That is the best the part of that whole series. <laughs> it's so funny. And oh, the fact wow. that then they put that into the animated yeah. Spider-Verse movie. Uh okay, so I have a little list here of uh phase four movies for Marvel. Um Oh wow, they're doing a lot of TV shows too. So film wise, they're doing Black Widow in twenty twenty one. Uh Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Eternals. Un, uh, the Untitled Spider-Man Far From Home sequel, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Thor, Love and Thunder, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, Ant and the Wasp, uh, Quantumonia, Guardians of the Galaxy Vol Volume 3, and they might do another Fantastic Four. Very nice. Yeah. And amongst the shows, you have uh, Hawkeye, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. Oh, jeez. Ironheart, Secret Invasion. It's the list goes on. Marvel is so huge now. It's it's hard to to keep it all in check. I remember when Marvel was scattered. You know, it was yeah. Some, some people were doing Spider Man over here with Sony, and they were doing Hulk over there. Oh lord, it's now just one big conglomerate, then, which like is kind of nice storytelling wise. Yeah. But it's just. I remember when my friend massive. told me that. You know what they're going to do with all those Marvel movies? They're going to make it into one superhero league. And I went, shut up. <laughs> There's no way they'll do that. <laughs> and then here we are. Here we are. All right. Um, and so the last uh, two weeks, I think, somewhere in that time frame, I can't remember, Cyberpunk 2077 was released. And the thing about this game is that it was announced in May 2012. Uh, and now a decade later, it was released to terrible reviews and disaster. Oh, no. Uh, for those of you who don't know, CD Projekt Red uh, are the creators of Cyberpunk 2077. They're an indie company, which means that they don't really have the pressure of a publisher. And so they can extend and do whatever they want, release dates and uh, uh, game design and whatnot. And so what happened is got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back because, you know, they need more time to do it, work mm -hmm. on stuff. And then what they did, <clears throat> oh, just to give CD Projekt Red some credibility, they are the reason the Netflix The Witcher show is as big as it is. 
because they initialized the fan base with the Witcher game series. Gotcha. Very cool. Which got the books mm-hmm. uh, popular, which got the show popular. Yep. So um, they have pretty good credibility with the fans in that they can deliver a very good game with a great storyline, great graphics. Everything is just fan- fantastic, right? Uh, so what they did, CD Projekt Red, was that they sent out testing codes to reviewers, you know, IGN, uh, GameSpot, all these places, IGN. Um, and they only give them PC codes or preview codes for next-gen consoles. So not the Xbox One or the PS4, but the PS5 and mm-hmm. uh, whatever they call that new Xbox. <laughs> uh, and not the, Xbox Two. <laughs> Xbox 900. <laughs> uh Regardless, it was uh, that's a problem because when you only have PC codes or next-gen codes, that uh, uh, means that there's an uneven review over multiple platforms. Uh, what also was uh, said is that when uh, reviewers got the game, they had to filter all their uh, all their content through CD Projekt Red, so they could take out all those little like buggy clips mm-hmm. that they didn't want to show customers or the people who bought the pre-order uh, that the game was faulty Ooh. yeah and that led that to the fact that reviewers started giving out warning labels saying that the game was so poor hold on i'm gonna find the the uh, quote here the quote is from forbes's uh, article which was released today actually oh yeah. Look how latest news we are. Yeah, right? Nearly <clears throat> breaking news. And so the... Oh, my God. Hold on here. <laughs> While he's finding yeah. that, uh, I would just like to give a shout-out to The Witcher as being a fairly good representation, I think, yeah. for women. Uh, Yennefer is a very complicated, very strong character mm-hmm. and almost does the reverse. Like, she's not forced into motherhood she's forced into like sorcery in a mm-hmm. job that then prevents her motherhood yeah she her uh base or her story arc is that she wants motherhood right that's right. the only thing she's looking for also <clears throat> through a uh, siri and also uh the line mother of centra the queen of mm-hmm. centra is also very strong yeah strong characters anyways here is the uh warning Please note, this game has significant disparities in performance, player experience, and the review scores between the PC, next-gen consoles, Xbox One, and PS4 versions. Basically saying that they uh, they screwed up here. Yeah, <laughs> yikes. So uh, this is a big mark on CD Projekt Red's uh, record, and it's such a shame because, you know, like I said, they brought so much to the Witcher series and mm-hmm. built up that whole fan base. So uh, we'll see how they handle... Uh, possibly making another Witcher game. And also given that Netflix is uh, ramping up for season two, we'll see if those two stay connected or if they're going to break apart. I think they're going to mm-hmm. go separate ways. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, with that in mind, that's all yeah. we have. Last episode. Sad. <laughs> well, thank you everyone yeah. for joining us this episode and all the ones previous. Yes. Very much look forward to next season next yeah. semester it's gonna be a exciting good yes thank you to everyone who's listened in um i hope you all stay safe stay healthy and uh, yeah here's to future discussions yeah here's to future discuss discussions talk to you later thank you everyone thank you